Interesting responses, huh? Kind of a preview of coming attractions. Hey, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer as we get ready to open up God's word. Father, we just thank you uh, so much for just our time together, God. We thank you for last week weekend and what we got to celebrate, Father. We thank you for uh, just the, the great worship that we had and the opportunity we got to glorify you. And Father, we just thank you for your mercy and your grace that you show each and every one of us. And uh, Father, one of the ways that you have shown us grace is just in giving us your word. And so, Father, as we open it up today and see what you'd have uh, for us, God, I just pray that you would speak through me, God. I, I pray, God, I need you. I, I need your words to be my words. And so, Father, would you, would you allow that to happen? And would the message that you want to get across today be the one that is received? And we just ask this in your son's name. Amen. Hey, do me a favor. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Easiest way to find Ecclesiastes is to look in your table of contents, okay? <laughs> Second easiest way to find Ecclesiastes, if you want to search for it, it comes after Psalms and Proverbs in our Bible. So it goes Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Chapter 1 is where we are. We are beginning just a brand new sermon series here this weekend entitled Hollow. And for those of you who were with us before Easter, I know that may come as a little bit of a surprise to you because before Easter, we were in a series in the book of Daniel, and we were right in the middle of it. It was just getting good, and so to hear all of a sudden we're starting a, a new series comes as a surprise. Well, rest assured, we will absolutely return to our series in, in, in Daniel in a few weeks. We just decided that after Easter, it would be nice just to take a break just for a few weeks and to pick up on some of the themes that we talked about in our Easter service last weekend, and that's what this series, Hollow, is going to be about. So we're going to do this for a few weeks, and then we'll return to Daniel. But what this series, Hollow, is all about is it's all about the, the search for meaning and significance in this life. It's all about the search for meaning and significance in this life. This past week was a little bit of a hard week in, in the extended Ward family, and uh, the reason why is because my brother-in-law's mother, so my sister's husband's mother, uh, this past week passed away. And uh, this, was, this death really hit us really hard uh, because of just how sudden and rapid the decline was in, in, in her life. Uh, about a month ago, she had suffered from a stroke, and it wasn't a, a minor stroke, but it also wasn't a major stroke, and she was in the hospital, but she seemed to be recovering very nicely. In fact, she was just a, a few days from being uh, able to go home and recover there. But in the midst of trying to figure out uh, what it is that caused the stroke, they did a, a scan on her brain. Uh, they noticed a little mass there. Uh, they went in to do a biopsy of, of, to see what it could be. And actually, before the results of the biopsy even came back, uh, she had just all of a sudden took a turn for the worse. She lost all ability to speak and respond. And then within a week, she had passed away. And this woman, Jennifer, was a name. Jennifer was just, just a wonderful woman. She was so kind and gracious, not just to my sister's family, but, but to our entire family. I mean, every weekend that they were in town, they would always come to, to church to hear me preach, talk about a sacrifice, right? Uh, they, they, she sent me a birthday card every single year, sent my wife a birthday card. Just, just a wonderful, wonderful woman. And, you know, whenever you lose someone like that, you, you, you always kind of take a step back and you reflect on some of the big things of life, about meaning and significance and how to make the most out of this life and so on. Um, well, I, I share that with all of you because there's, there's a book in our Bible that, that deals with exactly that. And that is the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, Ecclesiastes is a very interesting book in our Bible. I, I don't think a lot of Christians uh, have read through it. I don't even think there are some Christians that even know that this book is in our Bible. But it's a very interesting, it's a very unique book in our Bible. It's actually written originally by Solomon. 
And Solomon himself has a very storied sort of background in the Bible. King Solomon was the king over Israel. And he was actually the, the son of King David, who was the best, most significant king over Israel. And when he died, Solomon, his son, became king. And Solomon became king at a relatively young age. And so one day, very early on in his reign, um, God actually visited Solomon. And God said to Solomon, Solomon, I will give you whatever you ask for. Whatever you ask for, I will give it to you. Now think about that just for a second. If God said that to you, what is it that you would ask for? Well, Solomon, to his credit, Solomon knew that he was very young. He knew the great responsibility he had in, in, in being the king over God's nation. And so Solomon ended up asking for wisdom. And God granted his request. In fact, God granted his request in spades. We're told that Solomon became, after that moment, one of the wisest men who ever stepped on this earth. And being a wise man, Solomon wrestled, as wise individuals often do, Solomon wrestled with some of the big questions of this life. And in verse 3 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, Solomon asks what is probably one of the biggest questions that we can ask in this life. Look at me at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 3. Solomon asks the following. He says, What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? And really the observation that Solomon is making in this particular question is, you know, life takes work, right? Life takes effort. Simply being alive takes work. You, you, can't, you can't sleep all day and live any sort of meaningful life. Trust me, in college, I tried several times, and, and it just doesn't work out. You have to do something at some point. And, and the question that Solomon is really asking in verse 3 here is, at the end of the day, when all is said and done, what do we get from the effort that we put into this life? What do we have to show for all the work that this life takes? And when you think about that question, you realize that this really is the question of life, right? What is the meaning of life is what Solomon is asking in other words. What's the point of life? What's the purpose of life? What do we have to show for our life when all is said and done? And that, that really is the question of life. Now, I would imagine for many of us in this room, that this question seems like a really easy question to answer. Because for many of us in this room who have the beliefs that we do, the, the answer to this question is, is found in God, right? It's found in Jesus. What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? What do we get from this life at the end of all of it? Well, well the answer is wrapped up in God. The answer is wrapped up in Jesus. And so for many of us, this probably seems like a, a relatively easy question to answer. But what's so unique about the book of Ecclesiastes is that as Solomon answers this question, at least initially, he's not going to answer it the way that Christians normally answer. Instead, actually what Solomon is going to do as he goes on this search for meaning and significance, is Solomon is almost going to act like an atheist. He's almost going to act like God doesn't exist. And as he tries to find meaning and purpose in this life, what Solomon is going to do is he's going to try to find meaning and purpose only based on what he can see, only based on what he can observe, only based on what he can experience in this life. And that's what's caught up in this phrase at the end of verse 3, under the sun. You see that phrase at the end of verse 3, under the sun? That's a very important phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's actually repeated 27 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And what Solomon is cluing us into, into that phrase, is the perspective that he's going to take on this search for meaning. Uh, to find meaning in this life, Solomon's not going to look to God. 
He's not going to look to the Bible. He's not going to look to heaven. And said, Solomon is only going to try to discover the meaning that he can find in this life under the sun, based on what he can see, what he can observe, and what he can experience. That's the perspective that Solomon is taking. And I share that with all of you because I have to imagine, I have to imagine that in a gathering this size, that there are some of you who share the same perspective that Solomon is taking here. I have to imagine that not everybody who is sitting here today, not everybody believes in God. You're not here because you believe in God. You're here because a friend invited you. You're here because maybe you came last week into our Easter services and something we said or we did intrigued you and you wanted to come back and hear some more. Maybe you're here because you want to know what it is that we Christians believe. But you don't believe in God or you don't have a really strong belief in God. And so you share the same perspective that Solomon does here. And maybe, therefore, you're asking some of the same questions that Solomon is asking here. What what am I here for? What is the meaning? What is the purpose of life? What, What do I get from this life when all is said and done? So how is it that Solomon answers this question? As he looks again, not to to God or the Bible or anything else, as he just looks to the world around him, how is it that he answers this question? Well, I'm going to tell you in a few minutes, but before I do that, what I want to do is I want to tell you how Solomon arrives at the answer he gives. How Solomon arrives at the conclusion that he gives. In verses 4 through 11 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, what Solomon does is he tells us where he went in this life to search for meaning. Where his search for meaning and significance took him in this life. And as you study these verses, you see that what Solomon gives us in verses 4 through 11 is he gives us three observations that he has made about life just by looking around him. Three observations about what life is like under the sun. And what I want to do is I want to share these three observations with you up front. I want to show you where we get them in this passage. And then after that, I'll I'll give you the grand conclusion, the grand answer that Solomon gives on meaning and purpose. So these are the three observations that Solomon makes on life. We'll put these on the screen. You can write these down if you want. The first observation will be found in verses 4 through 7. And the first observation he makes is this. The world is always moving, but it's never getting anywhere. That's the first observation he makes. The world is always moving, but he's never getting anywhere. The the second observation he makes is found in verses 8 through 10. And that is that we humans are doing the same. The, The earth is always moving, but never getting anywhere. We humans are doing the same. And then the final observation he makes is in verse 11, and that is that the only thing certain is death. The only thing certain is death. So these are the three observations that Solomon makes. The world is always moving, but it's never getting anywhere. We humans are doing the same, and the only thing certain is death. Those are the observations that Solomon makes. Now, before I show you where we find those in the book of Ecclesiastes, I just want to say a word about this, okay? Because I know that some of you are looking at this, especially the last one, and I can tell what some of you are thinking. And some of you are thinking, oh, great, another encouraging word from Pastor Chris this morning, right? (laughs) Pastor of disaster strikes again, and I know that, I know that. But let me defend myself just for a second here, okay? Let me defend myself here. These aren't my words. These are Solomon's words. And we need to remember who Solomon is. Solomon is not some Joe Schmo on the street just pontificating about life, like the people we saw in the video. No offense if you were one of those people. But that's not who he is. Solomon is one of the wisest individuals who ever walked here on this earth. And so at the very least, at the very least, we have to investigate what Solomon says here. We have to consider it, especially for those of you who don't believe in God or you don't have a strong belief in God. We have to consider what it is that Solomon says here. So let's do just that. 
Pick it up with me in verse 4 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Uh, the observation that Solomon makes here is that the world is always moving but never getting anywhere. And this is what we see in verses 4 through 7. This is what we read. Solomon says, Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. Stop right there. So remember again, men and women, remember the perspective Solomon is taking here. He's only looking to the world around him. He's only looking to what he can see and observe in this world and see what he can learn based on that. And so the first thing that Solomon does is Solomon looks to nature. Okay, Solomon looks to the world around him. And what does he observe based on the nature that he sees around him, the world he sees around him? Well, I already said it. It's that the world is always moving, but it never seems to be getting anywhere. What Solomon observes is that nature seems to be caught up in the same cycle of events that repeat over and over and over again with seemingly no point and no goal and no end in sight. Or as one author I, I read put it this past week, the world is always in motion, but there's no promotion. There's a lot of motion, but there's no promotion. And Solomon cites three things to prove this. The first of all is the sun. He says, what does the sun do every morning? It rises. What does the sun do every night? It sets. What does the sun do again the next morning? It rises again and it sets again. It, it continues the same course, right? It's always moving, but it's never getting anywhere. It's just going on the same cycle around and around and around again. Solomon observes the same thing about the wind in verse 7. What is the wind doing? Solomon says in verse 6, what is the wind doing? The wind is always blowing. He says it blows from the north to the south. When it gets to the south, it turns around and it blows to the north again. When it gets to the north, it turns around and it blows to the south again. It's always moving, but it's just going in the same pattern. There's, there's nothing that's working towards. There's no goal. There's no purpose. It just repeats over and over and over again. The sun rises and sets every day. The wind keeps on blowing, he says. And then in verse 7, he has my favorite observation, and that's the observation about water. And what does he observe about water? Well, what he observes is that the streams, the rivers of this earth, are always dumping water into the ocean. But the ocean never gets full, and the streams never get empty. The, the water of this earth is always dumping, continually dumping water into the ocean, but the ocean never overflows, and the streams never get empty. Basically, he is observing the water cycle. And, and he's seeing the same thing, that the world is always in motion, but there's no pro-motion. It's always moving, but it's never getting anywhere. There's just the same cycle that keeps on repeating over and over and over again. And that's what he's saying in these verses. But it's what Solomon says next. That's the most significant. Because what Solomon does next is he takes what he observes in nature, and he now applies it to the human life. And what he says next is he says that you and me are following the same pattern that we see in nature. That we ourselves are always moving, but we're never getting anywhere. That we ourselves are caught up in the same repetitive cycle that we see in the world around us. Pick it up in verse 8, and you'll see what I mean. Solomon says this. He says, all things are wearisome more than one can ever say. Now stop right there, because I find that to be an incredible verse, okay? All things are wearisome more than one can ever say. One translation of the Bible puts that verse this way. All of life is far more boring than words can ever say. All of life is far more boring than words can ever say. My son Lucas would wholeheartedly agree with that statement. 
Lucas is four years old. He has just picked up a new phrase. And the phrase is, I'm bored. And 10, 12 times a day, he must say, Daddy, I'm bored. Mommy, I'm bored. And I always want to go, you're four years old. You have no idea what it means to be bored yet. Spend your entire life in church, and then you'll know what it means to be bored. Hey, you're not supposed to laugh at that one. You, you laughed a little bit too hard at that one. Sometimes I feel like I'm raising a teenager, men and women. But, but Solomon would agree with this. All life is far more wearisome. All of life is far more boring than words could ever say. Continue on. He says, The eye never has enough of hearing, nor the ear it's full of... Uh, an eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear it's full of hearing. He says, What has been will be done again. So, sorry. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before before our time. And if you have the new Chris Ward translation of the Bible, you will see that verses 8, 9, and 10 in your Bible is just four words. And those four words are same old, same old. Same old, same old. Because that's what Solomon is saying here. That the same, the same thing that he sees in nature, this endless cycle of events that repeat over and over and over again, we also live it out. That we are caught up in the same cycle, that we're always moving, but we're never getting anywhere. That there's a lot of motion, but there's no promotion. And when you think about it, men and women, when you think about it, you realize that Solomon is kind of right. In fact, more than that, Solomon is really right. He's really right. I love this phrase in the middle of verse 9 where he says this, where he says, what has been done will be done again. What has been done will be done again. You know what I'm going to do uh, after this message this weekend? I'm going to print that out, and I'm going to put it above my washer and dryer in our garage. <laughs> Is there a better illustration of that statement than doing laundry, right? So, so in our house, we have a washer and dryer in the garage of our house, but all of our bedrooms are upstairs. So our washer and dryer is on the ground floor, but all of, all of our bedrooms are upstairs. Anybody else have that arrangement? Okay, you know how horrible that is, right? And a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at the laundry situation in our house, and I'm 90% of the problem with the laundry situation in our house. And even before I knew I was teaching on Ecclesiastes, I came up with a brilliant idea. And I said to my wife this, I said, why don't we just move our dresser into the garage, right? Why don't we just build a closet in the garage? Because that, to me, makes a lot more sense. Because that's where everything ends up anyway, right? I mean, what an illustration of this. What has been done will be done again. What is laundry? Just this endless cycle that keeps on repeating over and over and over again. And you're never getting anywhere. But, but, but that's what life is. That's what so much of life is. You know, every Saturday you clean your house and you weed your garden and you mow your lawn. And by next Saturday you have to do it again. Every Monday night, right, you empty the sink and you put the dishes in the dishwasher. And by Wednesday night the sink is full again and you have to do it again. Every Tuesday you have the same meeting at work. Every Wednesday, you have the same lunch. Every Thursday, you make the same phone calls. Every Friday, you file the same paperwork. Every Sunday afternoon, you know what I do? I file this away, and then on Monday morning, I start all over again. And life is just this endless cycle that keeps on repeating. We're all living our own version of Groundhog Day, aren't we? <laughs> just the same thing over and over and over again. And let's be honest here, okay? It can get wearisome, and it can get boring, 
And I know we're not used to hearing this in church, but sometimes it can get downright depressing. The monotony of life can get downright depressing. It was Henry David Thoreau who said famously, he said, the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. The mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. And I, and I think this is partly what he's talking about. We're always moving in this life, but we're never getting anywhere. And then one day what happens? One day what happens? We don't wake up. It's all done. We die. Verse 11. Solomon says this. He says, no one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. You know, probably the, the, the man, the male, that has had the biggest impact in my life, apart from my, my dad and my older brother, uh, was my grandfather, my mom's dad. And I think I've shared a few stories about my mom's dad before. He, he, was just a, he was just a good man. He was a wise man. He was a man of God. And he was just a great grandfather. He was just a fun grandfather. And I was very, very close to him. Well, I realized something this past week I'd never realized before. My grandfather died 18 years ago. So he died before any of his great-grandchildren were born. And I, I'm the youngest of the grandkids. And that means that I am basically the youngest person on this earth who has any memory of my grandfather. You know what that means? That means that when, if I outlive my family, if, if, when I die, all memory of my grandfather is going to die with me. The, the last time my grandfather's name will, will ever be significantly uttered here on this earth will probably be at my funeral. And when I die, for all intents and purposes, my grandfather will be forgotten off the face of this earth. And you know what? One day, the same thing will happen to me. And one day, the same thing will happen to you. And that's life. What is it that Benjamin Franklin said? He said, the only thing we have to be certain of in this life is what? Death and taxes. And by the way, taxes are due a week from Tuesday. Just a <laughs> gentle reminder here. But Solomon would agree with that statement. The only thing we have to be certain of is death and taxes. What is life? We're born, we live, we pay taxes, we die, we're forgotten. And that cycle just keeps on repeating. And I stress, men and women, because I know what some of you are thinking, but Chris, you're forgetting God, you're forgetting heaven. No, I'm not. Solomon is forgetting God. Solomon is forgetting heaven. Solomon is trying to find meaning and purpose only based on what he can see and observe. And only based on what he can see and observe, the only thing that Solomon can be certain of is the fact that we will die. And he's right about that. Only based on what we can see in this life, under the sun, the only thing that we truly have to be certain about is the fact that anybody who is born in this life will die. And that's why Solomon comes to this great conclusion in verse 2. Well, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? This is the conclusion he comes to in verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And that's the great conclusion that Solomon comes to on life. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The Hebrew word translated meaningless here is the Hebrew word hevel. 
Hevel. It's spelled H-E-B-E-L, but bees are pronounced with a V in Hebrew, so it's Hevel. And Hevel actually literally means breath. In fact, you can translate this phrase, this verse here, breath of breaths, breath of breaths, everything is a breath. And please don't ask me to say that again, because it's a little bit of a tongue twister and I'll say a wrong word, okay? But that is what that is saying there. Everything is a breath. And as I was thinking about this, this Hebrew word hevel, the image that came to my mind is this aerosol can right here. And I don't know if those of you in the back especially can see it, but when I spray this aerosol can, that, that mist that comes out of there, that's essentially what Solomon is saying life is. Life is like a breath. Life is like nothing more than a mist that comes from an aerosol can. And, and I think by that, uh, Solomon is saying a couple of things about life. I think the first thing that he's saying is he's saying life is short. Life is fleeting. It's here one second and it's gone the next. And boy, isn't that the truth. I know those of you who are younger here in this church, you may feel like life is, it stretches on forever. That 70, 80, 90 years, it feels like an eternity. Do yourself a favor. Talk to a 70, 80, 90 year old about life. And one thing they will tell you is that life is short. That all of a sudden they turned around and it was almost over. And that's one thing that Solomon means by heaven. I think the other thing that Solomon means by Hevel is that life is elusive. Life is, is hard to make sense of. Life is hard to grasp. Try as hard as I might, I can't grab the spray that is coming out of this. And that's what life is like. Life is hard to grasp. Life is hard to make sense of sometimes. You know, I know, men and women, I know that if all of us had our way, we would probably run this world a little bit differently than it's run. Probably if all of us had our way, we would make a rule that says that every good person gets rewarded, every bad person gets punished. We would probably make a rule that says no parent ever has to outlive their children. No parent would ever have to bury their child. We would probably make a rule that says that, that, that if you work hard, if you put a lot of effort into things, you will succeed in this life. But anybody who has lived in this life for any significant amount of time knows that it doesn't always work that way. And that there are a lot of things in this life that happen that simply don't make sense. Why did your business fail and another person succeed? Why have you never been able to find the right one and yet all your friends are married, some of them multiple times? Why is it that, that, that Villanova won the national championship and USC didn't even make it into the tournament? <laughs> that one we know the answer to, right? But, but the rest of I mean, there are so many things in this life that we can't make sense of. Truly, the only thing that we can be certain of is the fact that we will die. And so knowing that, that's why Solomon comes to the conclusion he comes to. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. And all God's people said, amen. Let's bow our heads now in a word of prayer as we close. No, we're not going to end that way. We're not going to end that way. Did some of you really think I was going to end that way? <laughs> I wouldn't be allowed back here if, if I did. Uh, but seriously, what do we do with this, huh? What do we do with this? This is not the sort of message we're used to hearing in a church. I don't think I've ever given a message quite like this one before. But this is the word of God. It's no less the word of God than anything we've been seeing in the book of Daniel, than anything we covered last week, right? So what is it we do with a passage like this? Well, at the risk of sounding redundant, men and women, let me remind you again of the perspective that Solomon is coming from. He's only looking under the sun. He's trying to determine purpose and meaning significance only based on what he can see in this life. And based on what is under the sun, the only thing to be certain of is death, and that's why life is meaningless. And if that's the case, 
then that's why I like what Chuck Swindoll says in his book in Ecclesiastes when he says this, if there is nothing new under the sun, then our only hope must be above it. If there is nothing new under the sun, then our only hope must be above it. And Chuck is right on. You know what I find really interesting, men and women? I find it really interesting that despite the fact that death is about the only thing that we can be certain of in this life, that nobody likes to talk about it and nobody even likes to think about it. That we often lock the, the, the conversation, the thoughts of death up in some corner of our mind under padlock and key and we only bring it up when we have to absolutely talk about it. Isn't it interesting that no one likes to talk or think about the only thing that we can be truly certain of in this life under the sun? Why is that? I think I know why. It's because deep down, we know that there has to be more to this life than what we see. Deep down, even those of you who don't believe in God, you know that there has to be more to this life than what we see under the sun. And that's what leads us to Jesus, men and women. And that's what leads us to what we celebrated last weekend. Why are we so drawn to Jesus? Why do we make such a big deal out of Easter? Well, why is it the most significant holiday on the Christian calendar? Well, among other reasons, it's because what we see in Jesus, what we see in Jesus is someone who broke the cycle. It's someone who broke the cycle that Solomon talks about here. Jesus was born just like the rest of us. Well, not just like the rest of us, but you know what I mean by that. Jesus was born just like the rest of us. Jesus lived just like the rest of us. Jesus probably paid taxes just like the rest of us. Jesus died just like the rest of us. But then what happened? Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus raised from the grave. And what we see in Jesus is someone who broke the cycle. I don't know if any of you watched that, that show Jesus Christ Superstar on NBC last week. I was so upset by the end of that musical. And the reason I was upset is because they forgot the best part. They didn't mention the best part. They forgot the resurrection. They forgot the whole point. Listen, if there was no resurrection, then what we're doing here is useless. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, then all of us need to pack up, we need to leave, and we need to turn this building into a performing arts center. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then Jesus is a human just like the rest of us. He's caught up in the same cycle of life that Solomon describes, just like the rest of us. But it's Jesus' resurrection that adds meaning and significance to what we believe. Because, it's Je because Jesus rose from the dead, we know that we can be certain of more than just the fact that we will die. There's a way to be certain of more than just death. That's why the resurrection of Jesus is so significant. Last weekend, something really amazing happened at our 8th or 30 a.m. service at Easter. And maybe some of you saw it. But last weekend, a 92-year-old woman by the name of Louise got baptized. And we're actually going to put a picture of, of her on the screen. This is a picture of her baptism right after she came out of the water. It not that the greatest picture? She just has such a sweet look on her face. The only thing I don't like about that picture is that Matthew is there and not me. <laughs> I wanted to be the one who baptized Louise. But that's another story. Matthew swooped in. But that's another story for another time. But this is such an amazing story. And I won't go into the whole story, but, but Louise truly just gave her life to Jesus. At the age of 92, she just gave her life to Jesus, and she wanted to get baptized as a result of that. 
And you know what the Bible tells us happened when Louise gave her life to Jesus? She now broke the cycle. She now can be certain of more than just death. In fact, the Bible tells us that when Louise put her life in Jesus, something truly new happened to her for the first time. She became a new creation. At the age of 92, Louise became a new creation. And in fact, she recognized that. After she came out of the water, after she got baptized, you know what she said? She said, I'm brand new. I'm brand new. I love that, right? At the age of 92, I'm brand new. And that's what I love about our faith. And that's what Christianity offers that no other philosophy, no other religion, no other faith does. It adds a, a, a something new, a way to break out of the cycle of life. We're going to put this verse on the screen, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. This is one of my favorite verses in high school. It's one of the first verses I memorized in the Bible. And it says this. It says, always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And I love that last phrase. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Solomon tells us that everything under the sun is useless. It's going to be forgotten. The only thing we can be certain of is death. But what the Bible tells us, what Paul tells us, is that's not true. Because of Jesus, we can be certain of more than just death. We can be certain of a life after death. And we can be certain of the fact that there are things that we do in this life, things that we do for Jesus, that will have meaning and will have significance and won't be useless and will be remembered far beyond this world, far beyond our lives. It's when we look over the sun that's where we find meaning. That's where we find significance. And that's why as we draw things to a close here, I have just two questions for you. And these questions are simple, but sometimes the most important questions are the simplest ones. The first question is this. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Listen. You are going to die. You are going to die. That is certain. But we do not believe here that death has to be the end of you. It can actually be just the beginning. And that you can become a new creation. Something new can happen in your life. But it only comes through putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done that, we want to help you. That's part of the reason we exist as a church. You heard it earlier, but we have a great program starting this Thursday night called Alpha. And Alpha is just a place where you can ask questions. Ask questions about Jesus, ask questions about the resurrection, ask questions about the Bible, about prayer, about life, you name it. You could ask questions and hopefully get a few answers to those questions. And we would love it if you would be our guest and be a part of Alpha. And you can find more information about that online. But that's the first question, that's the most important question. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Second question is for those of us who have. And the second question is this. What are we doing for Jesus? What are we doing for Jesus? You know, Solomon tells us that everything we do under the sun will be useless. And I think that's right. Everything we do for ourselves will be useless. But Paul tells us that everything we do for the Lord will be used. It will be significant. It will mean something. So what are you doing for Jesus? What are we pointing to in your life where you can say, I am doing this for Jesus Christ? 
And I just want to stress, it doesn't take anything real extraordinary. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says, you want to do things for me? Here's what you do. When you see someone who is thirsty, give them something to drink. When you see someone who is hungry, give them something to eat. When you see someone who is naked, give them something to wear. When you see a stranger or a foreigner, invite them in. When you see someone who is sick, take care of them. And when you see someone who is in prison, visit them. You just share Jesus with other people. Part of the reason why Louise gave her faith to Jesus is because she lived in the same neighborhood as Matthew's mom, Sue Cor. And knowing Sue, Sue talked to her about Jesus. Sue talks to everybody about Jesus. Sue talks to me about Jesus. I don't think Sue thinks I'm saved sometimes. And so she shares Jesus with me. But what Sue did in Louise's life will have lasting meaning and significance. Whenever we share Jesus with others, it will always have lasting meaning and significance. So what are you doing for Jesus? And if you don't even know where to begin in that, we want to help you with that as well. Jen talked about it earlier. We have another program at this church. It's called Rooted. It starts again this Thursday. And Rooted is a 10-week program. And among other things, what you do in Rooted is you get paired with a group of people. And, and, and as part of Rooted, you go out and you serve and you share Jesus with other people. And if you've never done it before, we would love for you to be a part of that. And again, you can find more information online. But you know, men and women, listen. I have tried to find meaning and purpose in a lot of different areas in this life. And I have tried my fair share of things in this life. But there is nothing, nothing that has brought meaning and purpose to my life like following Jesus, like giving my life over to him. Matthew said it so well last week. The tomb is empty so we don't have to be. The tomb is empty so that we can live a full life. I pray that each week, this week, that each of us would be able to find the truth in that statement. Would you bow your heads with me, please? And I just want to say, as, as your heads are bowed here, for those of you who have never put your faith in Jesus, um, you, you don't have to wait for a program like Alpha to do that. You, you can do that right now. All you have to do is, is recognize that your life is without meaning and purpose. All you have to do is recognize that, that, that you have gone against God and what he, what he asks us to do. That's called sin. And all you have to do is believe that Jesus came to this earth, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on a cross, and three days later that he resurrected from the grave. And if you put your faith and trust in that and you commit to follow Jesus, that, that, then you can have this eternal life, this new life that we've been talking about. And I would love right now, if, if you want to make that decision, I, I would love just to, to pray for you in that. So let's pray. Father, we just come before you, God. And Father, I, I pray for anybody in this room, Lord, who doesn't know Jesus, that right now as we speak, that they would just make this decision to, to, to know him, to follow him. God, I pray that they would just confess right now in their own words, yeah, God, I've I, I messed up. I haven't done what you've asked me to do. But Father, I want to change that. I want to put my faith in you, Lord. I want to have that meaning and purpose. So will you forgive me for my sin? God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to this earth to die on a cross, God. I believe that when he died on that cross, he took the punishment for my sins, God. And Father, I, I believe that three days later, he rose from the grave. And Father, I, I don't know everything it means right now, but I want to follow that Jesus. Would you help me to follow that Jesus, God? 
And I pray, Father, for anybody who, who, who prayed that prayer genuinely, Lord, that you would let them know that at this moment, Father, that, that your Son, Jesus, your Holy Spirit has entered into their hearts, God. And that they now are a new creation and they, they can begin this exciting, meaningful, significant journey of, of following you, Lord. And I pray for all of us, Father. I pray that each and every day, God, we would learn that meaning and significance is found not when we spend time on ourselves and this world around us under the sun, God, but it's when we look to you and we, we do what you have called us to do, God, when we do things for Jesus, when we serve one another out of humility and love, Father. And that every day we would find the meaning and the purpose that comes with that, God. I thank you, Father. I thank you that we can declare that life is not meaningless, Lord. It is so full of meaning because of your son, Jesus, and because of the fact that you have called us and adopted us as your sons and daughters. And what an amazing truth that is. So, Father, we ask that you would lead us and guide us each and every day, Lord, and we ask that you give us the strength uh, to, to go wherever it is that you have called us to go. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we ask all this in your son's name. Amen.